0: I'm Pat McKay, and this is Providence Ventures Radio, where we talk about funding the future of healthcare. That is our focus. That will always be our focus. And why wouldn't it be? It's fun. We have two guests with us today, Mike McSherry from Zelf and Dan Gallus from Providence Ventures. Thank you both for being on the program. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Mike. Just so you know, my process for this podcast normally involves me taking long CEO bios and whittling them down to a few main points so I can then get through them as quickly as possible. And, and, you know, it takes a little effort for me to to craft these sort of truncated bios, (laughs) but I did not have to do that this time. So I want to thank you. I am a huge fan of your bio brevity. (laughs) Uh, Thanks. uh, Maybe that means I've not accomplished much,
1: or maybe my (laughs) companies and exits speak for themselves.
0: Right, exactly. I I thought it was fantastic. Um, (laughs) Mike, you are a veteran startup executive with a rich history of successful exits, notably as the CEO of Swipe, co-founder of Boost Mobile and Amped, and with Zivo. Uh, You've raised, returned, and lost hundreds of millions of dollars to investors. Four out of five of your startups have been prosperous, You want to build great new products, brands, and businesses, and improve the world with better digital health tools. Currently, you're the CEO and a founder of Zelf. Um, I actually had to add a few words to that. So uh, I even put in a couple of Oxford commas there just for myself. So I hope I didn't say anything out of line. Obviously, you're a very accomplished guy. Do tell me if I got any of that wrong. Nope. That about sums up my last 20 years. (laughs) (laughs) Perfectly. So, again, normally this is where I'd have you might kind of give us an overview of your company, Zelth, but but I don't want to do that just yet uh, because I'm very intrigued with how you and Providence Ventures got together and how that led to Zelf. Um, so let's instead start with you telling us about yourself and your relationship with Providence.
1: Ooh, long story. So, Uh, I've done a lot of startups, and after having sold my last company, Swipe to Nuance, I worked at Nuance for a couple of years, and during that time period, on a random ferry ride up to Victoria, Canada, I sat next to the CEO of uh, PacMed, a medical system, and we got to talking about business, and he's like, oh, I'm looking for board members with younger tech energy and and knowledge, Uh, you should join my board, and so then... (laughs) That led to me joining a a hospital system board that then merged with Providence subsequently. And in that experience, I met the CEO of Providence and uh, then Aaron Martin, who's the chief digital officer. And they were telling me about their new venture fund and how they were being more entrepreneurial and they wanted some digital savvy people to come in and think about changing the world of healthcare. And they recruited me. But... I was kind of. I've got a team. We've all done startups together. There's four of us, and they said, "Why don't all four of you come in and be entrepreneur in residences?" And we're like, yeah, "Better to better to learn from the inside out in this crazy complex world of healthcare." So that sounded like a pretty good opportunity, and uh, we joined Providence as entrepreneurs and residents uh, with the uh, alongside the Prov Ventures team and Dan Gallus. Fantastic,
0: thank you, Mike. We'll get more into that, but that just sounds like just an, a very interesting way to to sort of get into med tech and, and do some do some new stuff. So uh, but we'll come back to that. Dan Gallis, not only have you been on the podcast before, but your voice has been heard many times on the subject of investing in the medical technology field over the past 20 years. You're a partner at Providence Ventures, a $150 million venture capital fund created on behalf of Providence St. Joseph to improve health outcomes for people. And to date, your team has invested in 13 different entities you all consider to be best-of-breed health innovators. Uh, Very glad to have you back, Dan.
2: Thanks, Pat. Uh, Glad to be here. Appreciate it.
0: Dan, many of the companies that you and your partners at Providence have invested in um, were already up and running. Uh, Zelf obviously was a little different with Mike. You essentially built something from the ground up with uh, with a team. You know, these this this team of entrepreneurs in residence, which sounds like a uh, uh, an amazing but a far rarer uh, kind of opportunity. Tell us your perspective on what you and Providence Ventures did with Mike and his team.
2: Yeah, that's right, uh, Pat. It is a Zelf, and the creation of Zelf with Mike and his team is a bit unique uh, relative to what what our core activities are within Providence Ventures, where, uh, as you noted, we've made uh, 13 investments in uh, external companies where we're out looking for great entrepreneurs with great solutions and ideas uh, that can be impactful to what we're doing as a health system and where we're trying to improve uh, patient outcomes and and reduce the cost of delivery that we're uh, providing in the market. But yes, this was a unique situation. And as Mike described uh, some unique relationships there that led to us uh, getting to meet Mike and his team. But it was so it was a bit opportunistic in terms of what we typically do. But in in a lot of ways, it's, it's representative of some things we're seeing in the market where, thankfully, we're seeing a, a great influx of uh, terrific technology, technologists and technology entrepreneurs coming out of other non-healthcare spaces, really with a passion and mission for for trying to improve lives, which, you know, Mike didn't allude to this too much uh, in his descriptor of it, but he's been humble. I think the big attraction in working with Mike and his team for us was, you know, I think he had a a, a kind of a calling in his team to, you know, do something different and maybe more meaningful at this point in their lives with respect to impacting people's lives. And healthcare is a great place to be able to do that. Uh, So, you know, bringing, uh, Mike and his team in we were learning with them, but I think that the probably the smartest thing we did was you know give him uh, give him him and his team carte blanche access to uh, executive leaders, clinicians, operators within our system. Mike and his team vetted dozens of ideas, and it was really everything from you know pure tech to tech enabled services to even services models, really trying to do needs identification. What are some of the key problems that we have here and uh, through that access to uh, those those folks within our system, I think they were able to, you know, uh, diligence and throw out a lot of things until they came to Zelf, which uh, we could talk more. We will certainly talk more about that. Seemed to be a resounding yes from every angle in terms of uh, the opportunity and to to build a, not only a company but really deliver value to a health system like ourselves. We also had uh, an instance of Epic, our electronic medical record system, that once Mike and his team determined, let's, let's go and try and develop uh, the solution here. They were able to develop directly into the electronic medical record, which was absolutely critical for them to uh, build a solution that in our view can ultimately be successful, which is building it directly into the clinician's workflow. Uh, So we had something that they, you know, uniquely had an opportunity from the inside out to not only test what they were bringing to the market and the value proposition it it could bring to a customer that we think is very representative of the rest of the market, but also develop and integrate it uh, from the start into the, the leading electronic medical record system that's out there. So I think we definitely brought advantages to Mike and his team as it relates to their ability to get this company up and going. But it's fantastically important for us to be able to engage with entrepreneurs and help them help us by providing these kinds of resources Uh, to our entrepreneurs and the kind of input that hopefully we're we're able to do for Mike and his team.
0: Have you ever heard of another uh, another company in the medical field create uh, uh, sort of a residency group or uh, I don't know if you can call it an incubator, but, but, you know, an an entrepreneurial residency kind of group like that or it, it was it truly just something you guys were willing to try?
2: You know what, I've, I've seen some, you know, there have definitely been some, some terrific technologies that have been developed within health systems, uh, but typically as a function of need uh, within those systems, they develop something in-house and then they get it to a point that it's serving that system's interests, uh, and they kind of stumble upon the idea that, wow, this could be beneficial to the rest of the market and maybe we can spin this out into a, a company but in terms of entrepreneur and residence programs may, maybe a couple out there there are a couple health systems that are uh, have been pretty aggressive in terms of trying to take white spaces and, and invent and create new companies but it you know this was was you know our, our view from a system perspective is that we would prefer not to invent we would rather partner with innovators either existing companies or entrepreneurs out there that can build because we know we can be a huge component of Getting a company up and going and being part of the formulation of a solution, but we're not necessarily the best owners and probably are not the best owners of that technology in-house as opposed to providing, you know, an entrepreneurial group that can take outside funding, continue to push it, you know, push it the way it needs to go to be more competitive within the market get access to capital, and we can be a beneficiary by being an equity owner through those kinds of relationships, as well as being a a beneficiary of the the improved solution that comes along with that.
0: Uh, On that, Mike, we should finally allow you to talk specifically about Zelf. Would love to hear about your company. Um, And please, for for some of us uh, folks living here in Seattle, do not leave out its historic location, which actually had a little bit of news um, I saw in the paper today.
1: Yeah, no, uh, good, good timing, and, and and Dan, thank you for the kind words. Uh, yeah, I, I give all credit to Prov with with the resource support at us ideating and access to clinicians and IS uh, for for what Zelt has become. Um, w- without that support, we would not be pursuing this and with such a such success thus far. But Zelt, we we saw a need of increased use of digital tools in healthcare and those are apps related to different disease states um, or uh, more educational material, aka Dr. Google, people do a lot more searching for information. It's not the same paternalistic view. And since there are so many different digital services that are providing support for patients, we saw how challenging it was for them to embed and integrate into the hospital workflow to have doctors and nurses and MAs recommend these services to patients. It's It's almost akin to 10 years ago Doctors used to handwrite on a piece of paper a prescription referral, and somebody would take a piece of paper to the pharmacist. And now that's almost entirely electronically routed uh, to that pharmacy of choice for the patient. So we're essentially analogous to that. We let doctors prescribe digital services to patients. We do the authentication and easy enrollment for the patients to watch, view, buy download, engage in different digital applications, helping with that patient's lives. And since they're all digital, we then bring that back into the doctor's workflow to let them monitor the, the compliance and engagement and judge the efficacy of these digital pathways. And since we read all this data coming back, when the patient's not in compliance be it device readings or where they're at in week 12 of a weight loss program or their weekly behavioral health screenings, we can alert the clinicians to intervene with with varying levels of response from just simple in-basket message notifications all the way through to pager alerts. And so the range of digital services that we've integrated span from patient education, articles, videos, and pre-op, post-op information and rehab plans for PT exercises to apps, um, diabetes, weight loss, um, oncology survivorship, maternity applications, a number of devices. So we're tracking CPAP devices. We're tracking glucometers, soon to be doing EKGs. Then there's a category of generic services. Uh, So we are prescribing meal delivery to patients for post-op recovery. And it initially launched against bariatric uh, surgery patients. So when they go home, you want them to immediately start eating a healthier lifestyle, not going back to some of the the, the food that might have uh, you know created that problem in the first place. Uh, we're prescribing lift rides to patients, Medicaid patients to get to surgeries, and we're doing e-commerce recommendations from the clinician out to the patient for easier purchasing and consumption. So the whole world of digital health, we feel like we've collapsed into an easy prescribe and monitor view. That brings accelerated patient engagement and, you know, patient compliance. And then we also know how to monitor and intervene when we see the patient's, you know, pathway or or compliance fall out of a a prescribed regimen. And that can oftentimes have very severe consequences that require immediacy of intervention. So that's what we've built at Zelth. And as we incubated the idea, a lot of systems come by providence to see, share information and ideas uh, and collaborate on, on things that they're seeing in the marketplace, things that work for patients, vendor comparisons. And I got a front row seat to show ZELF to probably 40 to 50 hospital systems last year just by walking down the hallway. And, and that was fantastic exposure for ZELF. UPMC, the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center, saw what we are doing with ZELF and said, boy, if you can make that work in our Epic environment, this is a technology that we'll want to use and, and, in fact, invest in, and commercialize. So with that impetus, we spun out last year and raised money from a DFJ elite venture capitalist that does crazy bets like Tesla and SpaceX. They also uh, are increasingly playing in healthcare. And importantly, we got our first four hospital customers to invest. And that's Providence, UPMC, Fredert in Medical College of Wisconsin, and then Hennepin. And that early customer validation, where they wanted to license the technology, utilize it, and invest in the company, was just fantastic credibility for us to go out in the market and sign other customers from that point in time. Now, you did ask about the Smith Tower. And yes, we're in, it was the oldest building west of the Mississippi for 60 years until the Space Needle was built. And that's the historic fact. We, uh, since we're incubated in Providence, we had been getting free office space, but then as a separate company, we had to grow up and and mature into a teenager and and find our own office space. So we moved into the the Smith Tower. And just this morning, it was announced that Goldman Sachs bought Smith Tower and a couple of other buildings for $750 million, increasing the uh, uh, real estate boom in Seattle
0: yeah it's it well, it's been quite a boom here, and mostly to the consternation of everybody sitting in their cars all the time. They feel like you live in l a sometimes <laughs> yeah but uh, but yeah, great great company, very impressive um and 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 a great building. It'll be interesting to see you know how how that evolves with that with that purchase and and again, just not surprised that 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 you're getting these opportunities with uh, some of these other. Health centers, you know, it would seem to me and from a very layman's perspective, though, that if you're able to kind of engage patients outside of just a couple, two or three doctor visits or, or, or how many ever, depending on on what their needs are. But if you if you take that engagement and you're able to sort of be with your patient digitally. Through the course of, of their health issues or their recovery or whatever they're up to, you're going to end up with healthier people. Is that the right thing to take away from this? No that that, that is the right takeaway. And, and the reason we jumped into healthcare, uh, we we wanted to make a difference
1: and 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 we uh, we wanted to focus more on the preventative side than than the reactive side. And and to that point, you know, yes, you're right. The the typical patient only sees a doctor a couple times a year. So how are they spending the rest of their lives in, in healthy behavior? And when they are coming into a visit about some reason or complaint or, or periodic checkup, are they informed about the reason that they're coming in? Are there tools you might send them pre-visit that would be beneficial instead of filling out forms in the, in the waiting room or there things that maybe they could have filled it out before or thought about before? And then after they leave, what what is the clinician recommending to that patient? And and maybe it's you know management of a, a certain disease state. Maybe it's using a device that that is tracking a, a more a, acute care condition, or or maybe it's just uh, an ongoing you know health and, and lifestyle uh, change. But the complexity of healthcare now requires that it's not just the doctor in that three times a year that they see you is involved in in your in your health and wellness. You've got more ongoing needs concerns and you also have payers that are involved and employers that are involved and one of the benefits for us at, at being in the in the clinical workflow is we're a cloud plug into the EMR and think salesforce sitting on top of traditional sap or Oracle systems and with that I can marry up the eligibility of a patient's program offerings that might be covered by a payer or an employer so instead of you know, someone overweights seeing the doctor and the doctor's like, well, you should maybe think about joining a gym or, uh, I don't know, try exercising or, or eating better and come back and see me in six months. And that's basically the the advice now, but we can put gym memberships, weight loss programs, weight watchers, all these things that serve maybe a more preventative nature and are covered by payers. I can put them in the clinical prescribing workflow. And we've proven that it leads to higher engagement, and and compliance against these programs when the doctor recommends a patient doing something, versus when their their payer or employer might might suggest that they take care of their health in a different way. So we still go back to that trusted recommendation of a clinician as uh, the most impactful thing in in helping to manage a, a patient's healthy lives.
0: So Dan, um, you had said like uh, during the process of, of of having Mike and his team in residence there that that Mike. They had brought, they brought many ideas, you know, during the process of identifying a need. They had lots of ideas. You had the opportunity to test them. Um, you also had the opportunity to integrate right from the start. Uh, and you're doing all this, obviously, because, you know, Providence St. Joseph overall is in the process of transforming itself with, you know, with a lot of new technological investments. And uh, as, a, as a VC, you're, you're beholden to their mission as you do your job. Uh, you're obviously not just out there chasing cool companies or just chasing innovations that sound neat. You want medical technology that fits Providence's mission going forward. So how important was it that Mike and his team understand that mission very clearly before you all got involved with him? Um, was there, you know, I mean, was there a pretty intense like mission briefing when they came in? Or, 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 or really, did you just kind of run at the tech and the ideas first and then sort of sort out what fit with the providence um, kind of way. Does that make sense? Yes,
2: uh, no, that makes uh, that makes the questions uh, makes perfect sense. You know, I think on on the last part of it, in terms of develop the tech and then and then see where it might fit, both from a mission perspective as well as uh, you know, is, it a, is is it really meeting our needs? That certainly uh, is the reverse. You know, it's really the reverse of what happened where. Uh, The the benefit of bringing Mike and his team in and being able to roam the halls for a year and have full access to people was was purely around needs identification and and identifying problems, opportunities to go build a business around. And the technology just happened to be uh, the way to be able to uh, address this specific problem. I think on the mission side, you know, I think we had uh, one, I think, you know, our, our mission as an organization is, uh, you know, a corridor mission is mission is serving all people uh, in in a holistic way in, in their health and well-being, and especially those who are, the, are poor, poor and vulnerable. Um, and, and ultimately, we have a vision of, of health for a better world. So if we can do our jobs right and work with uh, entrepreneurs and companies uh, like Mike and his team, we think we can uh, deliver a different kind of holistic care uh, preventative care as well as acute care, uh, which not only impacts people's health being, but also life being, uh, given you know, all of us have had experiences either personally uh, or with family members uh, that have run into significant health issues and problems within uh, their health care experience and delivering, you know, being able to receive that care. Uh, there's there's no shortage of issues that we have to be able to address that, um, I think you know Mike and his team certainly had this in terms of aligned mission and why they were coming into this business to improve other people's lives. Uh, but in general, you know, there aren't very often that we see businesses uh, within the healthcare realm that don't share that similar mission. Um, you know, I, th- I think uh, it's it's a nice part of of working in this industry that it really attracts individuals uh, who are pursue it from an entrepreneurial angle uh, that really. Share in that similar mission and uh, and have kind of a calling uh, to participate uh, in this industry and try and drive change and improve lives. Um, so yes, the the mission is extraordinarily important. Uh, we we assess that upfront and assess it along the way. Uh, fortunately, uh, it's it is a uh, aligned in almost all cases, which uh, makes it a joy to be a part of this industry and, and the innovation that's uh, been. Uh, been increasing uh, over the past decade or so.
0: Thinking about some other innovators out there who who have ideas, who who want the opportunity to have ideas in the in in, in the healthcare field. Um, from your perspective, just in general in 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 the in the medical technology field, how important is the timing of an idea? Is it the case that sometimes, you might have a great idea and it's just the timing isn't right or the system isn't ready. Do innovative companies at times struggle to either get funded or to scale or to do all these things that are important to do? Because, you know, despite the fact that they do have a great idea, the hole they they feel just isn't there yet. You know, how does how does timing work in medical tech investing? Is that is that a, is that important?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, timing, timing is critical for any industry and investing in any companies across any verticals. But I think healthcare, I would say it's, it's even more important from a, you know, from a success or failure perspective. Healthcare in it by its nature, uh, the industry is, quite frankly, it's behind with respect to technology adoption, the sales cycles for selling into hospital systems uh, any kind of provider systems and and health plans uh, is long, even by enterprise sales standards. Uh, and you're selling into organizations that have a very high, very high attention to, to return on investment, because it's it just happens to be when you're selling to providers and payers, they're not the highest margin businesses in the world. These aren't the Googles and the Facebooks of the world that you're serving, uh, who have big margins and can afford to uh, take a lot of intuitive bets on things that might Generate returns for them. So, uh, you know, I feel like we come across a number of companies that I'd put in the no brainer category, meaning, oh my God, of course, this is so screwed up and <laughs> these issues are uh, are obvious. We have to be able to fix them. And of course, everybody wants to fix them. So they're in the no brainer category. But understanding the friction in the system in terms of how things work today and the reasons why things might be screwed up and not working as well as they should is really, really important because those friction points are hard to break through sometimes. And you really need to understand the the problem that you're solving, who's accruing the economic benefit. Too often, I'll see companies that uh, might be selling solutions that need to be utilized by providers, hospitals, for instance. And if they deploy the technologies and utilize them and, and advance the care for their patients, Oftentimes, the biggest beneficiary is not the hospital system itself. It's it's the health plan that, you know, is the one responsible for uh, the health payments. And it's not that provider systems don't have a mission and want to do as much as they can for the patient, but there's limitations from an economics perspective. So, you know, I think timing and then also understanding who the customer is and and how you reach that customer and deliver value to them are are. are very, very important things uh, for new companies that are coming into the space. I, I would say, though, that you know, to your point about you know, I don't think that great ideas in healthcare ever get left behind, though. So timing might not be right, and you might end up with some early entrants that take the arrows in the back because they were too early. But they help drive awareness. Uh, they help you know raise people's eyebrows and say, oh, things could be different. Technological advancements can come. Mandates can come from government that change the timing of the of the importance of certain technologies. I mean, if you look at the electronic medical record industry, which you know started in the '80s and '90s, it didn't. It wasn't really until you know the Obama administration at the beginning would put in the meaningful use requirements for the ACA that, uh, or at the at the beginning of his uh, administration, that really drove. The adoption of electronic medical records. And now you've got, you know, Epic and Cerner and Athena Health and different companies that have been wildly successful, uh, driven by government mandates. So a great idea in the 80s became fruition in the 2000s. Didn't get left behind, but there were a lot of a lot of money lost and a lot of companies that went under along
1: the way. I want to pick up on on something Dan said, and that's where you've got to follow the money. You you have to understand who's paying for the solution and the benefits derived. And that's the most complex part of a new entrepreneur coming into healthcare. And and, and that's the benefit of working inside the system and having access to those resources that could kind of help us map that. And before, you know, having started, this is my sixth startup that I've co-founded, and Yes, you can start with a raw technology platform first, but you need to identify the business need uh, for what you're solving and, and, and the rationale and, and reason for that. And so as we contemplated ideas throughout uh, our entrepreneur residence experience, what makes sense in uh, most consumer landscaper or, or most commercial enterprises does not make sense in healthcare. And some of that is for moral reasons, some are for legal reasons. A couple, uh, couple examples there. Uh, we had an idea. Well, why don't you just charge variable pricing for you know, doctor visits or surgeries? Airlines do that. Hotel rooms do that. Do that in healthcare. Oh, wait, there's morality question that what? So the rich get to buy all the good spots and the poor that might have transportation needs have to go at 2 a.m. Another example that, that we had uh, contemplated was almost a rever- taking a reverse mortgage out on end of life. Well, the whole system shells out 25% of the entire healthcare cost in the last, what, 12 weeks of someone's life, often intubation, you know, life support, agonizing way to, to pass, and also at an exorbitant cost of the system. Why don't you uh, give people cash bonuses to sign advanced directives? Oh, wait, that might be construed as a death panel. So you, you kind of have to start with what would be a, a business problem first and, and technology second. Now, on, on the technology front, I, I would say, you know, much I use the example, uh, the ERPs extending into cloud, the cloud is barely, barely beginning to touch the, the providers in the hospital system. Writing and integrating and, and changing code in Epic or Cerner or other EMRs is basically like writing client code, you know, back, back in the Windows era. Uh, whereas we've seen that the cloud has kind of vastly superseded that with, with different, more flexible business models and APIs and, you know, mul- multiple third party indexings, you know, of pairing up of different information and data sets. So we we've found that, as as Dan said, EMRs are now proliferating. They're starting to open up APIs to allow cloud based services to read in right into some of that data And with that, we can connect into reading and writing to this whole world of digital services, e-commerce applications and storefronts and connected devices. So that that's the benefit that that we're now starting to take hold. As we were developing we we literally spun through 70 different ideas and. We wanted to focus on prevention, but the industry doesn't really want to pay for prevention at this point in time. So then we had to kind of continue finding different business models. And in the way that we came up with Zelf was we thought the patient portal was fairly lacking. It could have been an improved user experience, MyChart. And MyChart is the patient portal brand for, for Epic systems. And how in the world do these multi-billion dollar hospital systems that pay you know, in some cases, tens or hundreds of millions of dollars in TV advertising. How do they tell patients to generically download an app called MyChart? That would be like Starbucks saying, "Download an app called My Coffee," and that's your starting point for every Starbucks experience. No, no brand would ever let that happen. So we started building on the patient portal, and and we built a better My Providence, My Swedish app, and said, "Hey, isn't this great? You guys should launch this." And yet, there was still not that fundamental. How's it going to make money? Save money? The the big bet on just an improved consumer experience wasn't quite there. And then we saw collapsing all these third party experiences into that patient portal for easier adoption and utilization and, and compiling that all under the brand of the hospital system was beneficial. And then back to Dan's point earlier, we had access to the Epic toolkit. So we were able to figure out how to prescribe and then monitor all this whole range. And, and then net net, we ended up with this. Uh, N10 prescribing and monitoring platform against a whole range of different digital services. So the technology infrastructure in healthcare is coming. It is uh, certainly more slow. You have uh, privacy-level concerns. You've got security-level concerns that are exceedingly complex and lead to some slow decision-making and migration to the cloud. But when you figure out a, a a platform and strategy that aligns to uh, the provider's acceptance of, of dealing with privacy and security and, and the net-net patient benefit that we derive, then I think it becomes a very, very powerful part of essentially the core part of a future of digital care delivery that, that is going to be expected for all
0: patient engagement going forward. It's interesting. You can almost imagine that once... Once the medical technology field does start to evolve and catch up a little bit more, so much innovation is going to be easy. Especially when you, are, if you are able to sort of sort out patient privacy and data and some of these other concerns. Obviously, you know that's that's a huge, huge topic with some big companies uh, outside of healthcare right now. But it's all—it's very interesting. Now that Zelth has essentially moved out of the uh, parents' basement and <laughs> got their own joint there in the historic Smith Tower in Seattle, how do you uh, how do you and Zelth now work with the team at Pro- Providence? How has your relationship now evolved from being uh, the entrepreneurs and residents now to a company who, you know working with uh, 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 its investors?
1: Um, yeah. The, the- Good question, and 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 this is a lesson for for all entrepreneurial activities uh, in healthcare, and and where the innovation arm is largely the one that helps facilitate these ideas. But I, as a you know, having done enterprise sales for a while, know you can language an in innovation, and you need to find that that core customer that is going to propagate and continue to run with the evolution of the product. And, and put it mainstream uh, within a hospital operations. Yes, the Prov Innovation team and, and Ventures team helped us ideate and mature and grow. But very quickly, I shifted and we shifted at meeting the needs of the chief medical officer of the system, the chief information officer of the system, uh, the chief patient experience officer. We we had to move into the more clinical operations and core IS and medical teams for solving their problems so uh prov invested in our round and, and give board guidance and a lot of that is around um introductions and and strategy and business models but a lot of our product strategy has evolved from working with the the clinical teams we we initially thought we would be prescribing articles and videos and 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 maybe apps and then because we have that round-trip monitoring, the clinical team said, hey, you have this monitoring interface embedded in the EMR. Do you think you could start tracking CPAP devices uh, for obstructive sleep apnea? And we said, I, yeah, I think so. And so we figured out an integration there, and that's opened up the whole world of connected devices for us. Talking to doctors like, you know what I do all day long? I just recommend OTC e-commerce, you know, skin creams, maternity product recommendations, uh, products for, for you know, pediatrics and, and children or, you know, rehab plans. Yeah. And and so the, the doctor said, I do this all day long, but I, I handwrite it down. I print it out on a piece of paper. I'm like, well, couldn't we just facilitate all that to be prescribed and recommended links to e-commerce vendors? And so we've launched that. And uh, there are a multitude of other product platform capabilities are coming down the line with us working day to day with the clinicians nurses ma's doctors and the is staff on their problems and what we can use with our digital platform to help solve it but dan is on our on our board uh Ed Zelf and fantastic guidance and introductions and knowledge and he's been investing in this space for 20 years so i am a business i need to i need to solve problems but i also need to grow revenues and look at emerging business models and how payment models are shifting and transforming in the healthcare industry. Because at, at a corporate business level, I need to skate to where the puck is. And you know, back to that timing thing earlier, the platform and the capabilities that I'm building now and the technology underpinnings, I'm hoping has a sweet spot against emerging business models and payment structures. And, and increasingly a focus on prevention and social determinant and and, and uh, more healthy lifestyles than than pure episodic uh, response driven healthcare that that has typically been permeated uh, over the last uh, I don't know fifty years in the U.S. healthcare system.
0: Generally, it sounds like Zelf is definitely not afraid to react to to patient needs and evolve as you go, which. You know, I mean, it's just really a terrific thing for a company and probably a necessary thing for a technology company to do right now. Dan, like what, what, what's your take on, on the on the process of matriculating Zelf into the system at Providence? Um, I know you took advantage of some things early on and you were able to do some things, you know, when they were in residence. And then uh, and then how how has that process evolved um, the continued matriculation of of, of Zelth and their and their technology. How's that? How's that gone from your perspective? Probably not as
2: easily as what Mike would love. Unfortunately, it's representative of of what healthcare can be like. You know, we've got uh, every vested interest in in the world to deploy different applications through Zelf across our system. I think the biggest challenge we've got, and we're we're up and just to be, to put it in perspective, we're up with. Uh, a dozen different types of vendors and applications and another dozen on the way across different clinical groups for different purposes. But that's just representative of a sliver of the different things that we'd like to be doing. So it's really one of prioritization and resource access and and allocation from our IT team. And it's not that Zelth is really a significant challenge as it relates to integration. They actually on the other hand, you know, actually on the flip side, they are the integrating partner for these different applications and vendors that we're looking to make prescribable by our clinicians. But everything takes some effort, prioritization and some effort on our, our, our standpoint and training of the clinicians uh, once we have it up and going to make it actually a, a utility, something that uh, they're aware of, that they utilize and that we're getting value from. So it's one of prioritization from our perspective as we continue to advance this, which, you know, quite frankly, I think is a great signal for the company. You know, I think about when we were, you know, when Mike and his team were putting together the plan here for Zelf, you know, we were very, we thought it sounded intuitively great. And we had some, you know, ideas around, uh, we know that there are a lot of things here that should be done, you know, digital versus paper, a lot of things that aren't done at all because there's not... Uh, a digital, you know, nothing's baked into the clinician workflow, such that uh, it makes it easy for them to know what is available to them, let alone how to get it uh, to their patient in a, in a facile manner. But you know, I think the the key things that we saw as that process evolved, and and Mike and his team learned more, and we learned more. Was these, you know, every walk of life within our system, from a clinician to to our health plan to Different parts of our organization wanted to reach patients in different ways with different things. So to have an aggregating tool, uh, an aggregating solution like a Zelf that effectively can be the single source for workflow integration and understanding and management of those apps and and create a great engagement environment and opportunity for those patients really continues to become more crystal clear. Um, I think the, the key challenge for us at Providence, and it's something that I think uh, zelf will have to deal with with a lot of other systems as well is figuring out what are those what are the no-brainers what are the low-hanging fruit type things to deploy that we're going to get great utilization from and write great value from and then we'll add on from there which is kind of the, where we are with the with respect to the process of of getting even more value from zelf and and what it's enabling for our clinicians and patients
0: and it just you know that that seems like the way it, it has to be that the, the work can never stop. you know your company needs to always evolve. you know you need to keep shooting for the, for those very specific goals and those priorities as you've mentioned um, that all that all you know that just sound that sounds like just good advice for anybody out there trying to build something and and, and, and stay relevant uh, and, and profitable obviously. Um, so Mike, as we've mentioned a few times here today, You've been involved in quite a few startups, and you've been candid at times about your failure. So for the young innovators listening, I'd love to, and, and, and you know, potentially, you know, the young VCs who are, who are interested in, in, you know, in their progressing their craft. I'd love to hear more about your take specifically on failure. What role did it play in your career? Is there room for certain kinds of failure, even in medical technology? which obviously has a, a very different culture than the technology field in general. Talk to us about failure. Oh, well, it's, it's the, it's the other
1: side of the coin in entrepreneurship. <laughs> sometimes you fail, sometimes you succeed. Uh, fortunately, I've, I've succeeded more than failed, but uh, no, it, it's a growing, you know, fail fast, uh, you know, OPM, other people's money. I mean, these are, these are like ideas that get tossed around in healthcare is almost a badge of honor where you need to be willing to risk you know, with an idea. And that's not always, you don't see that as often in healthcare. It's a more risk-averse scenario, especially when patients' lives are at risk, right? And so we all understand that. But as a young, my first startup that I co-founded, it, was, it became the biggest web development company in Australia and New Zealand uh, in the 90s. And I went from basically being an individual contributor to 12 months later, managing a team of 60 people and a P&L of, I don't know, 6 million. And I did not do so well at that. And, and I actually got pushed aside from that. And that was my first kind of management level failure. And, and after that happened, I licked my wounds and, and went back to being an individual contributor for a while before I stair-stepped back into increasing levels of leadership roles, be, becoming the CEO of Swipe. And one of my failures, I co-founded another company that ended up raising $350 million and, and then went bankrupt. And that was a massive failure. But it was in telecom and you know, you sometimes hear of these satellite failures that, you know, lose billions. We only lost hundreds of millions. Um <laughs> I love that and, and 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 it's a big vision and it's a big market, but we had strong credible I mean, I had Qualcomm and Intel and MTV and Universal Music and VCs and hedge funds all investing in this and and that's smart money but it was going after a big vision. And and I left with my reputation intact. I you know, built a bit, big product. It wasn't for want of, you know, fraud or failure or of imagination or anything else. It was, it was probably market timing uh, as much as anything else on that front. So, and I licked my wounds from that and then stepped into the, you know, being CEO of swipe, which, which was a very successful company. So, you know, you're not always going to be successful at, at being an entrepreneur and, and the, The ideas and the energy you put behind a company, but learn from it and make sure that all the people that were involved for that ride, be it the investors, the employees, your customers also respect you afterwards. And and you can maintain, you know, your reputation because, because that does matter in the, in the world of entrepreneurship.
0: Just to, again, the sheer fact that you're able to in every single case, lick your wounds, you know, dust yourself, get up and, and, and have the confidence just to keep plowing forward, learn from your mistakes and just continue to to, to find more and more success. Uh, obviously, it's it's what's gotten gotten you to where you are today. Dan, what any other parting words or, or, or advice for for young folks out there, either young VCs or innovators or both? either on the idea of failure or even success, like, you know, like, you know, are there are there some specific things or is there anything we haven't covered today that you think would be particularly helpful to uh, to 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 young innovators or or VCs looking to get into medical technology?
2: I think that, yeah, the one thing which we, we kind of touched on a little earlier, but I always leave this with with entrepreneurs, especially as they're really in the formulation stage of their business is. Uh, try to engage with a customer from the outset. And, and not everybody is going to have, I think, the, the opportunity and, and maybe fortune that Mike had to be able to uh, and his team had to be able to you know, live inside the belly of the beast for a year and be able to have the resources to develop directly to the technology. But I guess understanding, you know, get close to a customer, a potential customer, really do the needs identification and development of the you know your your mvp product your minimally viable product to the specs that a customer really sees the need for uh, and the value from and try to get some utilization with that with that initial customer so you can demonstrate that it, it actually is delivering some value as opposed to the build it and and, and hope it comes so the, the more you can get in depth kind of connection with a kind of that beta customer and kind of I'd call it co-development of that product in, in connection with them, I think is a, a great strategy. And I think there's a lot more systems that are interested in that kind of innovation and getting involved with companies uh, today than ever before. So it, it, I think that's a, a, a good first step uh, when you're looking to, to vet an idea and really get it off the ground
0: is, is to go that route. Well, there you have it, folks. The great advice from two of the best in business. Thank you both for being on the program today. Mike Sherry of Zelf and Dan Gallis of Providence Ventures. Uh, really appreciated having you on.
2: Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Pat. This is uh, I really enjoyed it. Thanks a lot.
1: Thank you, Pat. That's great.
0: That's the conclusion of this episode of Providence Ventures Radio, where we talk about funding the future of healthcare. If you have any questions or suggestions for the show, or just want to tell us more about you, we're more than happy to listen to anything you have to say. Check out the Prov Innovation Channel on Medium and leave your thoughts, or follow Providence Ventures on Twitter. Thanks for listening. We look forward to the next one.
2: I I still crack up when I hear the Providence Ventures Radio. Awesome. When you hear the Providence Ventures what radio? Radio, <laughs> Providence Ventures Radio. You're on Providence. Why not? I want to get a, uh, I want a gig. I want to do like classic rock at nine. We should, we
0: should, uh, we we should piggyback it with a, like a classic rock sort of podcast sort of station. That's I'll right. Start out every episode with a kiss song or something. <laughs>